people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. Welcome to No God. I am Micah. I'm here with my dad, Tony Kafka. Glad to be here. Glad to be here with you, Micah. And uh, just uh, am glad to be able to share in this moment. This kind of springs out of the fact that I've had lots of conversations through more than 40 years of, of ministry in churches and just the great opportunity that I've had and continue to have to just have conversations with people about faith and about questions. And so this uh, podcast is just another forum for us to be able to discuss the questions that people have that really have answers but are not always easy to find out just immediately. So glad to be here. All right. And also with us is my mom, Sandy. Hi. I just have lots of experience of being a pastor's wife and trying to serve God in all the ways he's given me. So. All right. So today we're going to do something a little different. I have a surprise topic for my dad. So in general, the topic is, is there faith without doubt? Faith Ooh. without doubt. Good question. And so this comes from, uh, you know, just a, a thought I've had and I've, a number of conversations I've had recently of, you know, why things aren't so clear, why things are hard. And, you know, the thing in my, my head is like, well, if it's, if, if there's no doubt, then it's just a fact. It's a, it's knowledge. Like faith, I feel like seems to mean that it requires a certain element of doubt. And so is that true? And if so, what so, does that mean? Yeah. So faith and doubt traveling together. First of all, if you, I mean, if you talk to enough people, you begin to realize that even things that you or I, we might consider established truth, there should be no doubt about, that even those things, some people at certain times in their life or certain experiences can doubt it. Mm-hmm. For example, driving a car. I may all of a sudden come to a moment when I'm driving down a road and all of a sudden I doubt that the person coming toward me is going to behave properly and they may just purposefully move over into my lane. And so my (laughs) faith in mankind of obeying traffic rules could all of a sudden, because of something that's happened in my life, we might call it even a psychotic experience, although I don't think it has to be psychotic. It can just be a moment of just doubt. Oh, I'm feeling fearful. And all of a sudden, I, I doubt that things are going to work the way that they should. And so even, and that's even less of an established fact. There are other things that people have doubts about that the general population would say, oh, there's no reason to even doubt that. Right, right. <laughs> In our day and time, for example, the accepted or the, the, the mainstream view that the earth is round and orbits the sun. <laughs> you know, that's been around for hundreds of years. And actually through all of mankind, there have been people, history of mankind, people have believed that. But there's also the alternative, which is one, that the earth is round, but it actually, everything rotates around it. Right, right. Called a geocentric view of the universe that actually the earth is stationary and everything else is moving around it. And it continues to have its minority view amongst mm-hmm. some people, but they are basically ridiculed in the <laughs> in the traditional mainstream scientific community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so but I guess part of that's just like a point of view. Like it's, if it's all moving, you could just choose one. Th- Never mind. Never yes, mind. Yes. <laughs> right. Don't Except that, that when you go to laws of physics and how things have good point are working. But anyway, so. 
you know, there are all kinds of side trails that we could chase on this kind right. of conversation, but I assume we want to stick closer to issues of spiritual reality and, yeah. and such right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So doubt, you know, there is, you know, there are times in the scriptures where we have, uh, where Jesus, an event is happening. He's walking, he's in a storm on a boat and his disciples are with him and they're afraid. And he says to them, why are you doubting? Uh, another incident where a, a, a dad comes to Jesus and has a son that is in a what we would describe as an epileptic fit, and the father's describing that this happens frequently and that he even hurts himself. And then Jesus says to the man, so why are you doubting? Just believe. And the guy says, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so those kinds mm-hmm. of conversations Jesus had with people. Uh, and so we know that they're, they're, this is a reality that is true in spiritual life frequent all the time i mean it it comes and goes in an individual's life and it's always present in our communities Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so is doubt something to fear then well you might be able to make the case that actually doubt is a result of fear okay and so if you you think about this in a in a kind of a mental health way uh, let alone spiritual way if i'm fearing something it's probably going to be a root of some doubts about something. And even in the, uh, in the book of Job, I can't think of the chapter and verse without digging, you know, looking at it concordance wise, but in the book of Job, Job says at one moment, that which I feared has come Mm -hmm. to pass. Yeah. Right. And that was, and when we read the 42 chapters of the book of Job, we see this tension of Job's faith and his determination to remain faithful splashed around in this whole background of the sense that he is struggling with doubts mm-hmm. about what God is doing. And so, but in the book of Job, he comes through with occasion, you know, it's recorded some occasional statements where he is affirming his faith. Right. But yeah. he is actually acknowledging his doubts. Yeah, the doubt well. is still there, but I still choose mm-hmm. this faith to believe. Right. Nice, nice. And where was that at? That's in the in book of Job. 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 All right. And I could find that, you know, the reference point, if we want. Could just... I think that's something we could probably include in, if anyone wanted to find out more about this, maybe email us, and we'll give you an email address at the end of this. Right. Uh, we could give, a, like, kind of a list of verses that we weren't able to right. look up really quickly, but... And we could add that to a blog post. There we go, yeah. Yeah, so that sounds... Yeah, and what... Do that. Side note, what is your blog? Well, my blog is just simply TonyKafka.com. TonyKafka.com. Spell that, please. T-O-N-Y... K A F K A dot C O M for com. Just in case you're not looking at it on the screen, the K A F as in frog or Frank, not Sam or silly. Okay. <laughs> good, good. Well, that's a great resource for uh, diving into some of these, especially if you if you like to like see stuff and read it. It's a great resource for that, and uh, you can contact Tony there for more information on a lot of these things. Um, I think a lot of this comes from my own personal struggle with with believing in anything and kind of my path away from God. A lot of it came from the feeling that doubt was bad and had to be gotten rid of. Like if you had doubts, that meant you're something wrong with you. And, and you know, doubt is just something that's kind of been a constant presence in my life and a lot of stuff. I... 
I think just part of the way I, you know, I'm a, I'm a skeptical person by nature. I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to dig into things. And so doubt is just kind of always there. And so eventually it got to the point where, well, if I can't get rid of doubt, then that must mean there's something wrong with either me or with all this. So I just need to get rid of it and walk away. And, you know, long story short, a huge key in my path back to God was just becoming, you know what? I'm going to be okay with doubt. I'm going to let it live in a lot of this stuff and just choose to have faith even with this. Right. And that's, as I've talked to people through the years and in my own life, and for Sandy and I, your mother and I. I've given him lots of experience in the faith doubt. Well, <laughs> and when when we go through uh, very unexpected and traumatic events in our lives, um, our faith is, you can call it tested if we want to be spiritual. It's just definitely uh, attacked uh, if you want to think in terms of spiritual warfare. Or you can just say that it is uh, shaken. Um, and I, and really, when we think about biblical stories that model this for us, uh, there's the one that's very important and probably the the bottom line deal is the story of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Because Abraham is called, first of all, the father of the faithful. He is the one that he believed God and it was uh, credited to him as righteousness. In other words, just the fact that he believed God's promise made it to where God said, you know what? Everything about your life is not, nothing is going to keep you from an eternal uh, relationship with me, uh, with that faith. And the faith was that God had promised to Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, which is, in other words, uncountable. And Abraham, even though he had no children at the time and he was an old man and his wife was old and past childbearing years, he believed that that could happen. And so that's one part of it. But then, so that's Genesis chapter 12. And then you go to Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, you have that story that is, again, a fairly well-known story of Abraham being told by God to take his son that was born by somewhat a supernatural, at least, intervention and the son is now a, probably a teenager, young teenager or, or older child. And God tells him to go sacrifice him on the mountain that he was going to show him. And so God promised Abraham his descendants would be as innumerable as the stars in the sky. His one offspring that was, that, uh, was from him and Sarah was now going to be supposed to be killed by his own father. And Abraham had to decide something. And so we see this story play out in Genesis chapter 22, an amazing story. But then we also then have commentary on that story in the New Testament, both in Romans chapter 4 and in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's affirming how this model applies to us as believers in Christ. And mm-hmm. so we can kind of you know expand on that, but yeah, first so of all, any thoughts on that? I mean... Well, uh, let's expand on yeah, first. Then, yeah, yeah, I'd like okay. to hear the New Testament thoughts on so it. So Hebrews 11 is a little more straightforward. It basically says... Uh, and we'll get to that in a moment, that, that Abraham believed that God could somehow raise uh, this, this son from the dead, mm-hmm. that God's command to kill him was not the final thing. Right. That Hebrews commentary, we do not know this out of Genesis chapter 22. We only know it from the New Testament 3,000 years after the fact, right, actually right. more like 3,500 years after the fact, that Abraham believed that somehow God would bring Isaac back to life. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, I like that one because 
it's it's not like he understood the motivation or how it would happen, but just had faith that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but somehow it's still going to work out. Yeah, because God has the power to do whatever his plan is. Right, or that we don't have the power to understand how this is going to work in his plan. Right. right. And so when we think about faith and doubt, we also have to have this conversation about our intense desire to know why. Yeah. I mean, how how old is a child before they finally say to their parent or to a teacher or a preschool attendant, why? How old is that? Before they get to preschool. Two. <laughs> when they hit that magic two number. So, why? so here's a question. Which of us four kids asked why more often? Probably you. <laughs> Don't you think? At least in, as a as a kid. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this is almost like a parenting aside to this conversation. Parents should always welcome why, and they should never just say because. <laughs> well, I failed. <laughs> I mean, the because answer is simply stop talking about it. We don't want to talk about this right now. Which I'm sure is sometimes necessary. Right. Yeah. And so it's actually better to just be honest and say, we can talk about that later. And they'll say, why? <laughs> and then you say because of, I said yeah and all of our kids we're, we're why askers not just yeah. Yeah. and actually every child uh, well it'd be the unusual child exceptional child that would not ask why right. I suppose it happens but we didn't have that experience no, we did not and most adults want to be in an environment where the why question is welcome yeah right. which right. is why reflects doubt yeah I think mm-hmm. fundamentally and I think for me as a pastor's wife in the early years of of our your ministries and stuff that was one of my big struggles is i felt that i couldn't at, i couldn't show my doubts i yeah. couldn't voice them except at home with you but i had to put on the facade of yeah i had no doubts yeah you know? i felt like you know a lot of the atmospheres especially uh uh youth events and stuff i'd go to had that same kind of feeling to them um, and so here's a thought is, so some doubt, some doubt rooted in fear is other doubt rooted in curiosity. Um, you know, using doubt in a very broad term, yeah. I would say yes. Um, there is a, there is kind of a way that the Bible uses the word doubt that maybe is more tied to fear, mm-hmm. I would say, because that's, because the spiritual, because Curiosity is not a spiritual uh, negative. Right. Curiosity is a good thing. But fear is is so often displaced that it drives bad behaviors. Mm-hmm. And and so really, as that would be a whole other podcast about fear. And maybe we've done that already. But anyway, fear <laughs> is the only... There, there's only one, and Jesus said it. He said, there's only one you should fear, and that is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, which is right. a whole other topic. Which but, is, say who that is, because some people get that verse totally Well, the one, and it is God. Yeah. God is the only one that can destroy both body oh. and soul mm-hmm. in hell. And the truth is that God has chosen by his de- creative design to, he has chosen to not destroy anybody's spirit or soul and again, that's a biblical interpretation that we could delve into another time. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because some people think that the human soul is actually immortal by nature, but it is not. By definition, we're not immortal by nature because we were created. Oh, so there's a beginning. Yeah, there's a beginning. So therefore, that, that you cannot be immortal by nature. You're immortal by design or even more so by God's empowering. So anyway, that's a sidebar. We'll have to hit that one another time. Back to Abraham, if you don't mind. Yeah, so we have another New Testament verse. Well, first, let's just stick to Romans chapter 4, because Romans 4 is probably (laughs) the most detailed that helps us to understand doubt, (laughs) doubt and faith. All right. And so we have where it, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Romans, is talking about Abraham. And he basically saying, first of all, Abraham received the promise of descendants, not because he did the right things, but because he believed God. So yeah. it was not by law, but rather by faith. And that justified him, that made him right with God. But then it also said in course of the thing. So he says, therefore, verse 16 of chapter 4 of Romans, and I'm reading NIV right now. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that, uh, so it may be by grace and it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, which is the Jewish nation, mm-hmm. but also those who have the faith of Abraham, alluding to Gentile believers, which is the three of us sitting around this, mm-hmm. this yep. microphone today. He is the father of us all. It is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And that was actually before it happened. So God right. stated it as a truth before it had actually happened. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom we believe the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Which is interesting because that is verse uh, 17. Could you, you say want, the chapter and verse one more time just for everyone? Romans four seventeen actually is a highly critical and very strong summation of the Christian faith. Ah, let's read it again. Okay, so here I read out the NIV. As it is written, uh, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And then this aside statement. The God who gives life to the dead... And calls into being things that were not. Ooh. And those are actually the two fundamental things that Christians must believe. One, that God calls things that are not into being simply by his word. He created out of nothing. Nice. And second, that he raises the dead. Those are the two foundational things to believe in. And so doubts about anything else are very important to us, but they are secondary to us living in relationship with God. So doubt about, will God ever lead me to the right place to live? Will he ever lead me to the right job? Those doubts, even though as pressing as they are to us, they are not as foundational to our faith. So let's go on then. Verse 18, because this is where it gets, it helps us to understand some of this stuff. Against all hope. In other words, there was no reason for Abraham to have any hope that this could happen. That is, that he'd become the father of many nations. Abraham in hope, so he had this, the faith that, that uh, fed his hope, he believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. And here's a quote out of Genesis. So shall your offspring be, which is a funny quote. But God is saying, everybody is going to be doing this by faith. Yeah. That's what that statement is about. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, at least as far as reproductivity goes. Right since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. 
Hmm. That is the foundation. That is what the focus of faith is, is that do I believe that God has the power to do what he promised? Hmm. Which assumes I believe in God. Yeah. It assumes that I believe he has power. And I assume that he is loving and will actually do what he promised. It's not that he promises something that he could do and then goes, ah, too bad. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is about this coming into a relationship of promise with God through faith. And so the one thing that we see here, we don't see the word doubt in this passage, but we do see that Abraham did not waver through unbelief. Right. So he had no doubt. Well, is that what no, saying? there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. And so okay. I kind of wanted to bring this into the conversation. Yeah. It feels like an aside because I think sometimes we think that unbelief and doubt are the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that gets taught. But again, maybe. Yeah. Again, I've done some research on this, but I'm not going to remember every book, chapter, and verse on this. But there is a distinction made in the New Testament between unbelief, which is a choice, and doubt, which is more driven by our emotions. Yeah. And so... I think it's important when we're trying to help each other grow as believers to realize there are these two different things. That doubt is not unbelief. Unbelief is I've chosen to believe that no, I do not believe that a eternal spirit that we call God created everything out of nothing. Yeah. I do not believe that. That's a choice because there is no scientific evidence to prove that. Right. There are lots of theories that go back to what is now popularly called Big Bang, which is fundamentally from Stephen Hawking's work. Yep. Great physicist and a great mind. But he came to the point where he believed that nothing created itself into something. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, that's what Big Bang is. That there is nothing that became something that then created everything else. Versus eternal God who chose to create and spoke the the atom-based universe, the physical universe, into existence, and again, debated about how that yeah. all happened, but that's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is that the unbelief is, I choose not to believe that God created, but rather I believe that creation created itself, or some type of line like so that. So unbelief is faith in the non-existence of God. Yeah, or the faith yeah. in the opposite. Okay, yeah. Or the opposing view. And so we, again, that's, you have to, I mean, what I've done through the years and through these studies, especially out of Romans and New Testament passages, but Romans is one of the key ones, you begin to see this difference between unbelief, which is I've made a decision, right. and doubt, which is I can't make a decision. Yeah. Doubt mm -hmm. feels like, I don't it's know which way there, to go. So yeah. doubt's the struggle or the fight, and yeah. unbelief is it's the fine. choice. I've Jeez, made the choice. Too. Yeah. Okay. And so when that's you have... Huge, that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And so then let's move all those conversations and all those passages in the New Testament talk about the contrast between faith and unbelief. Yeah. That's that conversation. That's about decisions. Right. Deciding to not... And that's what Abraham... Abraham decided to believe that God was a God that would be true to his promise, even though he had no evidence right. at that moment that it would happen. Now, he had some interesting things happen to him, like God spoke audibly to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and God then, after the fact, because Abraham was already believing, after the fact, he and his wife had sexual relations at an age when that was still possible, but the conception of a child was physically impossible. And God then supernaturally intervened so that the 
effects of aging did not apply in that circumstance for Abraham and Sarah. And it appears that was the only time it happened because Sarah never got pregnant again. Good point. But Abraham was able to produce more kids by somebody <laughs> <Yeah>. else. Right. <laughs> it didn't cease. Aside? <laughs> Sorry, well, rabbit trail. Again, uh, but a rabbit trail that we could throw in there is also the possibility. Because if Abraham considered his body as good as dead when it comes to reproduction. Right. So let's just jump ahead to 2018 and think about. So if he'd been living now, what would he have been going? What would he have been, had to do? Take Viagra. Yes, take Viagra. <laughs> is that what you were wanting <laughs> to do? That's what I'm alluding to. I remember that. I'll let you say that one. I don't know if this is a you know embarrassing conversation for our son to hear us have, but it's like so. So it is valid to say that maybe something even happened for Abraham that was in the sense of a healing. Yeah, maybe okay. we. Call I think it, so. I think they were both past being able to have intimacy. Yes, that's what my belief is. Which right, is just my belief. Right, but it does match up to the biblical story. Yeah, and then Sarah conceived and had a healthy child. Mm-hmm. And then never conceived again. But then we know that Abraham produced children later in life, uh, which is a whole other conversation <laughs> yes, to exactly. have. But so back to this. So there is this difference. There, faith, uh, belief, and unbelief are the contrasts. Doubt is a different aspect of our experience. Okay. And so doubt then comes into play with, back to the story of the father who brought an epileptic son. Yes that they consider demon-possessed, which maybe, I mean, if we take it at, at, at the account, he was demon-possessed, but the expressions of that demon possession looked like what we nowadays call epilepsy. It was not, right. It's not that epilepsy is a result exactly. of demon possession. Yeah. It's that, that that's how they perceived it. Okay, yeah. So, mm-hmm. But that father goes, well, I believe I brought, my, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Right. And now I'm, I'm bringing him to, in fact, the disciples then brought him to Jesus. And the father says, you know, just what we've already shared. The father said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, the unbelief was he was, he knew this was a decision time. Is Jesus able to heal my son? And I'm really, you know, I, I, I have a decision in front of me. That's belief, unbelief. Jesus says, and, and he says, help me with my unbelief. So right. he appeals to Jesus to help him overcome, to have a decision to be able to make, but putting faith. And so in this case, actually the guy didn't have to have faith anymore because Jesus went ahead and healed his son. Right. Which then in this case, and a lot of us want to have that kind of experience, but we don't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. He then had a very visible reason to lay aside the decision of unbelief. Mm-hmm. We don't all get no. that kind of answer. Right. So we then wrestle with our doubts. But so maybe we need to explore just doubt more and how that, you know, how we live through and with our doubts. So mm-hmm. let's throw out a, maybe a doubt that you know, you've already expressed some that were come along in your life. But is there a specific thing that maybe... Uh, no, you're just, just springing something on us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can always say, well, I know that other people have these kinds of doubts. Well, you know, a doubt that regularly has come up for me in my life um, is believing that I matter to God. You know, we, I do so, am involved in Celebrate Recovery, and the third step, I think it is, says, you know, believing that I matter to God and that He has the power to help me recover. Um, and I regularly, when I'm struggling, it comes back to that because I look at, I've had a lot of things happen through my life um, from childhood 
you know, till now, um, that have been hard struggles, and I look at it, then that shows that God really doesn't love me. I really don't matter. I'm one of the ones that, you know, he's not concerned about. And I have that whole struggle of coming back to, do I believe? So it's a, it's a belief choice. My doubts are affecting my belief. Is that what you're talking about in this? Well, it causes you to have to revisit that decision. Okay. Yeah. All right. And really doubt, that's in, in one way, if you want to kind of, if we're talking about belief, unbelief, and doubts, then unbelief and belief are the decision time. Right. Mm-hmm. The doubts are what come up in our life that push us to either make that decision or revisit a decision that we made in the past about and can belief. push for me it pushes me into my fear issues right oh yeah you know where the doubt the doubts then push me to the fear of I don't really matter I'm going to be alone everything bad's going to happen whatever and there might and there might be a case be made that actually it's the fears that are driving the doubt yeah which is and it. then the doubt then only expands it, it blows up that fear. They in the feed sense off of each it, other. Yeah, they feed off of mm-hmm. each other very much. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure that it, it matters that much to say which comes first, honestly, right. because it doesn't, because the solution is the same. We have to see it as, okay, I'm moving toward this decision. And so what do I need to be able to make this decision? And that's something that I think about as yeah. a pastor when someone's coming to me and I see this. And of course, you know, I, I mean, as you would imagine, when people talk to me, I don't go through all this mental process in front of them. But when they talk to me about a doubt, in the back, in my mind, I'm going, okay, this person is facing a faith question. Right. They're faith, they're faith or, or non-faith, belief or unbelief. And so it matters. And these conversations occur sometimes in just a few minutes, and sometimes they are then followed up with other stuff. And that's when I really do think that in some cases when Christian people talk about they feel like they need to go deeper in the Bible— yeah. Really what they're talking about is they need to have a more solid ground on solidifying their belief decisions versus the the tendency to be tempted to go to an unbelief decision. Yeah. And so that's all of that feeds into that. But I so let me just kind of work backwards here because I've got a couple of passages. One of them is out of the little, you know, little known book of Jude which is only only one chapter. And so in that at verse 22 chapter 1, or just the book of Jude, it simply says that one of the responses that we have as as people who are trying to help each other as believers mm-hmm. is this little short statement that says, have mercy on those who doubt. Mm-hmm. So we should, uh, anybody who comes with a doubt to any other believer, our template should just be mercy. Just that I can, I can, I understand, I mean, I know what it's like to go through doubts. I can't say that I know what it's like to go through your doubt. Right. But I know what it is to go through doubt. And so, first of all, we just affirm the fact that in the church, in the first century, it was a well-known fact that we would need to be able to respond to fellow believers who have doubts. And the response is, first, mercy, not answers. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I'm tempted to do answers first. But there is, as I've, you know, have had a lot of interactions with people and dealing with my own, I know the... Getting an answer from a fellow believer that is not uh, covered in mercy only makes the doubt more difficult to deal with. Mm. Well, because you feel condemned for having a doubt. Right. Condemned or ashamed. Right. Or belittled. Yeah. Right. You know, less of a believer because of doubts. And so, one, just I bring up this little 
uh, sentence in Jude because even in the later time of the early church, because Jude was written, you know, well past, you know, 50 years after G or 35 years after Jesus went back to heaven in the ascension. Jude is saying, you know what? There's always going to be people doubting around us, fellow believers. We, our first response is mercy. Just bring them in and just hug them. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, spiritually hug them. If you actually have the kind of relationship where you can actually just hug them and say, I, you know, I am sorry you have, you're facing this doubt. I've had my doubts too. Let's talk about it. And for a person to be able to just lay it out there, because what's going to be behind that doubt, or as, you, as we say, traveling with that doubt are fears. Mm-hmm. And they need to, we all need to talk about our fears. Yeah. Because if we don't talk about our fears, we keep them secret, then it drives the issues that we know of as recovery issues. And it also drives us toward a decision that's probably going to come out to an outcome of unbelief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it may be that it's the unbelief, not that we lose salvation, but it's the unbelief that I actually matter to God. Yeah. I'm probably saved, but God doesn't really, I don't matter. I'm just a, I'm just an ant. Yeah. I'm just a peon, whatever, whatever kind of derogatory term we would use to describe ourselves, then we just don't matter. And that doesn't bring us to, uh, the strength, the abundant life that Jesus has promised. Hmm. So that's nice. Jude. It's a great passage. Then we come to James. And James and Jude, just by the way, are half-brothers. Are they're brothers. They are half-brothers of Jesus. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. As we mm-hmm. understand uh, Scripture teaching. So in James, there's that very kind of well-known passage in James chapter 1, verse 6, that says, when you ask, that is when you're praying, that we should not ask in doubt. And in fact, let's just... Uh, kind of read a little bit more of that because that passage is the one that people who've been in the church for a while and have, have gone through struggles, they hear these words, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. So, you know, that thing, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness has its full effect and you may be complete. You're going to get done, lacking in nothing for your faith. Verse five, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, again, mercy, mm-hmm. um, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Now, that sounds condemning of doubts. Yeah, that that scripture discouraged me for years, because my doubts came so often, yeah, and yeah. I thought, you know, what's... So let's put this in the context of one of the fundamental statements about how believers are to relate to each other. What is one of those that, again, is like it's so simple that we seldom bring it up, but it is pray for each other. Oh, yeah. And if someone has a, a challenge, they should go to someone for prayer. Yeah. And so if if I want to be the independent self-sufficient believer, mm-hmm. then my doubts will eat me alive. I mean, they, they will eat at me. Yeah. And the one of the first remedies behind all this is, and it basically is saying, so this is actually a word to those who want to pray without any other input. Uh. I'm going to pray about my doubt, or I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God for this help, but I doubt if he's going to do anything about it. And James is saying, why are you doing that? <laughs> Why are you doing that? It doesn't match up to Abraham's faith, which was he believed even when there was no evidence that it would happen. And so how can we pray for something and expect an answer when we don't even believe God's going to do anything about it? Nice. And so the remedy is not specifically stated here, but it's in the context of all 
of our teachings as our fellowship of believers, and that is that if I'm if I'm having a prayer, if I'm praying about something that I have doubts about, that I'm I'm ridiculously out of bounds to keep doing that. I'm only going to be just feeding my doubt. Yeah. And so I need to go to a fellow believer or to my group of believers and say, this is something I'm facing. I need you to pray. I need you to believe for me. And often I have had people who have come to me talking about their challenges. And, you know, of course I will, you know, in a general say, they pray about it. And they'll say, well, I have been bad. You know, I, I can't pray about that. I'm praying, but it doesn't make any difference. And then what I say is as a word of encouragement is, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And this takes us back to the model of Mark chapter 2, where the four guys bring their paralytic friend to Jesus, tear out the ceiling, drop him down to Jesus, and Jesus heals him because says, your faith has made you well. Well, there's nothing known about the faith of those guys. In fact, the passage, as in commentary from the gospel writer, actually says it's the faith of the four guys. The four guys, not the guys. And I often talk to people about prayer and doubts in that way, is that... I need to find some people who can believe for me, yeah. who can will not have doubts about this, and they will bring it to God. And will show me mercy in my right. doubts and yes. not condemn me. Yeah. And so just think of four, four friends, their paralytic friend. Let's just translate that into four believers who are not having that struggle at the moment. Yeah. And another believer comes to them and says, this, this is a disaster in my life, and I don't believe God's going to do anything about it. And they say, okay, we're going to carry you in a figurative sense, to Jesus in prayer. And that person just has to be along for the ride. They don't even have to pray anymore. <laughs> I mean, really, when you get down to it, in fact, James says, stop praying about it. If you doubt, it's not going to happen. And so, again, it's like, well, then if, I'm, if I doubt and I can't pray about it, what am I going to do? Yes, go to your fellow believers. Nice. It's really good. Mm, anyway, wow. that's what I see. <laughs> uh, that's what the book of James brings to this. And so just one more to just kind of, I don't know, kind of bring it back to full circle for us in a way and to bring it back to Jesus. Okay. And that is in Luke. There is this simple thing that happens when Jesus is alive. He has been crucified. He's been buried. He came back to life. Some people have seen him alive already. In fact, it's already been uh, where... Uh, uh, Thomas had the opportunity to see Jesus literally, and Jesus invites him, why do you have your doubt? Put your <laughs> hand right here in my side. We don't know if Thomas actually did that. He may have, he may not have. But all of a sudden, Thomas's doubts about can a dead person actually be alive again, when he sees Jesus, he hears his voice, he realizes this is actually Jesus. You know, He is solid, he eats food, he's real entity, I believe. Yeah. And not, again, so... Even after all of that, Mm -hmm. and Jesus is taking them out to the mountain where he is going to ascend into heaven as his last finale on this earth. And and he, at that moment, he says to the people that are gathered around there, he says, they're all there. They're frightened. Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. I'm real. And so... Even after seeing Jesus alive, and then he's gone for a few days, and then he comes back alive again as a resurrected Jesus, but not in heaven yet. Right. People in just a span of days go from, oh yeah, okay, yes, yes. And then three days later, they're doubting again. They're doubting again. again. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> so what I want to kind of finish with is, doubts are always going to be a part of the Christian experience. It's what we let those doubts 
do. One, we have to recognize that the doubts are going to feed off of our fears and our fears are going to feed off of our doubts. We cannot do this alone. We must find fellow believers who will help us through our doubts Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and who will pray for us when we doubt in our prayers and who will just have mercy on us all through that episode. Mm -hmm. And those episodes of doubt can last years. Right. We don't want to admit that. We want to say, oh, well, this is a, this is a 24-hour fix mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And it may be. Occasionally that does happen. But when we have fellow believers, and, and honestly, I don't see why we can't just apply this also to unbelievers, people who yeah. have not made a decision, that when they bring doubts, it's just mercy. We show them mercy. We show mercy. We show them empathy. We say, yes, I have these doubts too. I have these, these are my doubts. Those are your doubts. These are my doubts. And I don't have to say, I know how you feel. I can just say, this is how I feel when I have doubts. Nice. And so to me, doubts are something that it doesn't matter if we welcome them or not, they're going to be part of our life. Mm-hmm. And the solution is other believers, honestly admitting them and realizing that it's always a crossroads of some type about believing or unbelieving something specific about what is true about God or what God has said. If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com.